Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we know that we are a blessed people. We know that you have poured out mercy upon mercy, blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace upon us. We give you thanks, Lord. And we pray that as we are drawn near to you in this moment of preaching, feasting on your word, that we might become ever more mindful of the abundance and magnitude of all that we, re- we have received from you, and that we might be willing to offer our lives as a song of thanksgiving to you and for you. Lord, bless this moment of preaching to these ends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. On January 17th, 1961, President Dwight D. Eisenhower delivered his farewell address to the nation. Broadcast on radio and television, the speech marked the end of Eisenhower's eight years as president and decades of public service. That included, most notably, his distinguished career as a general in the U.S. Army and Supreme Allied Commander during the liberation of Europe in World War II. The man at the microphone on that winter's night had experienced humanity at its best and at its worst. Eisenhower's hard-earned wisdom about human nature gave his speech a sober and cautious tone. I'd love to hear from any of you who listened to it live that night, but watching it on video now, it's on YouTube quite wonderfully, uh, I feel his sincerity and his selflessness and a sense of duty come across quite clearly. After all, these qualities still grab our attention when we see them in our public officials. These are still qualities for which we hunger when they're absent from our national discourse. In saying farewell to the nation, Eisenhower, the leader of the greatest military invasion in history, chose neither to bask in the glories of victory nor in the triumphs of the post-war economy that he oversaw. Instead, He reminded the people of the noble aims that exist beyond self-interested power and prosperity. That night he said, America is today the strongest and most influential and most productive nation in the world. Understandably proud of this preeminence, we yet realize that America's leadership and prestige depend not merely upon our unmatched material progress, riches, and military strength, but on how we use our power in the interests of world peace and human betterment. As Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman reminded our nation just this week, here, right matters. Eisenhower, for his part, went on to reject the notion of amassing power and riches for their own sake, but asked the nation instead to envision how these could be used and employed for a greater good. Throughout America's adventure in free government, he said, our basic purposes have been to keep the peace, to foster progress and human achievement, and to enhance human liberty, dignity, and integrity among people, among nations. To strive for less would be unworthy of a free and religious people. Any failure traceable to arrogance or our lack of comprehension or a readiness to sacrifice would inflict upon us grievous hurt both at home and abroad. And then Eisenhower delivered the most memorable section of his speech. Pivoting from his invocation of our better angels, the president identified two threats to America's adventure in free government. 
First and most famously, Eisenhower warned against the rise of the military-industrial complex, a phrase that's kind of made its way into the American lexicon to this day. In coining this phrase, what he was saying was that now that we're, in 1961, looking at a prolonged engagement with the Soviet Union, a hot war, a cold war, whatever it was going to be, he understood that this was going to require a, a, a tremendous investment in armaments and weaponry. And that those armaments and weaponry would become an incredible part of the U.S. economy. And when armaments and weaponry become an incredible part of one's economy, profit is added to the equation of justice and peace. And Eisenhower, the great military leader, cautioned the nation, look, when we add profit to the notion of war, we might get tempted and led astray from our true goals of truth and justice and peace. He cautioned that this prophet might tempt us and lead us astray as a nation, as a people. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist, he confessed. The second threat Eisenhower identified, while less famous than the first, has proven to be equally prophetic in the American experience. As we peer into society's future, we, you and I and our government, must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. Now, I understand why that bit about the military-industrial complex has made its way into Facebook culture and gets passed around from time to time. And as I said, we still see it before us. But this phrase, this worry, this caution that democracy might become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow, that's a phrase that should just make all of us stand up and take notice. That's an incredible phrase that Eisenhower invoked almost 60 years ago. And then after doing that, Eisenhower took his leave. He said thanks. He encouraged the nation to be strong in our faith that all nations under God will reach the goal of peace and justice. And then he concluded his public life with these words. We pray that peoples of all faiths, all races, all nations may have their great human needs satisfied, that those now denied opportunities shall come to enjoy it to the full, that all who yearn for freedom may experience its spiritual blessings, that those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibilities, that all who are sensitive to insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, that the scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made to disappear from the earth, and that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I love this speech. I think it's one of the great moments in, uh, uh, certainly one of the great speeches in American history, uh, certainly in the 20th century at least. It's tonic for my cable news weary mind. It also helps me understand why Eisenhower's position on most historians' list of presidential rankings continues to improve 
even though he's been out of office for almost six decades now. That's why I wanted to devote so much time to Eisenhower's farewell speech today. But I also want to make a connection between this farewell of a great leader and the farewell of the great leader that we encounter in the scripture lesson this morning as well. In the book of Joshua's 24th chapter, Joshua, the man, speaks to his nation for the last time, a nation at which he had been at the forefront for a very long time. Remember, Joshua was born as a slave in Egypt. When the call that God was, when the call came that God would lead the people to freedom, Joshua joined that band with Moses. He rose up to become Moses' closest assistant. When Moses died, Joshua was appointed by God to be the new leader of the people, calling them, God did, to lead them with strength and with courageous faith. And that's just what Joshua did. Strong and courageous faith permeated his leadership and his life into the flood at the Jordan River, around the walls of Jericho until they fell through every hardship, misstep and faithful step the people took. Joshua led them, praying that the blessings they received and the lessons they learned along the way were being internalized, were taking root and giving shape to the nation's heart. And when his days were few, the scripture says Joshua gathered the nation at a place called Shechem. That's a place with deep ties to his nation's history, deep connections to the story of Abraham and all that Abraham did and brought forth into this place. And in that place called Shechem, Joshua reminded the people how their presence in that place as a free people was a blessing from God, the ever-faithful God who had led them this far and would not turn away from them now. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built and you live in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. In other words, your life is a gift, dear friends, and every day God is blessing you. So what are you going to do about it? Joshua wonders. Chase after lesser gods that can't deliver on their promises. Stew your spirit in the toxic soup of ingratitude and entitlement. Refuse to learn from history's mistakes while being confounded that the past just keeps repeating itself. Joshua once again saw the strong and courageous way forward. Look, he seemed to say, the choice is really yours. You can ignore the gifts in your life. You can take them for granted. You convince, you can convince yourself that everything you have is just something that you've earned because you're just so great and wonderful. Or you can really get in touch, deeply get in touch with just how lucky you are, just how incredibly blessed you are, and give your heart back to the one who makes all these things possible. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua asked, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as far as me, as for me and my household, Joshua declared, we will serve the Lord. Like Eisenhower, Joshua's final speech was his most famous, for it gave us something to think about and to talk about and to measure ourselves against many, many years later. Choose this day whom you will serve. 
the forces that harden hurts and turn today's blessings into the solvent phantom of tomorrow, or the one in whom there is always new life, who turns gratitude into abundance, thanksgiving into service, and our first tiny steps toward God into strong and courageous faith. Let us choose well. Let us always choose to give thanks. Thanks be to God for this good news. Amen and amen.